Paul says in Romans 14:5, one person esteems one day above an- above another, another esteems every day alike. And let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Well, that's just a problem. Not just about the day, but actually what to do on the day. One is fully convinced that he has to do nothing but attend church, read his Bible, and, and ha- be consumed the entire day in, in all kinds of Christian or religious works. Another thinks that he can just go play golf and go to Disneyland and not even show up to church because he's fully convinced in his mind that he's free in Christ. So the question is, how does this fourth commandment apply in practical terms to me as a Christian in the New Testament era? To answer that question, we want you to stay tuned tonight on Sinners and Saints as we continue on in understanding the fourth commandment and its application to New Testament Christians. Stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an Edge. Hey, thanks for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. My name is John Sautel. I'm pastor of All Saints Reformed Church out in Walnut, a church plant out there. And then there's Reverend Adam Kalushin, as usual, is joining us tonight, a pastor of Ontario United Reformed Church, and Reverend Moses Jambazian from Pasadena URC. By the way, if you're looking for a church, uh, we, we invite you to come check out our websites and come by and worship with us where you'll get a more full and elaborate explanation of not only the fourth commandment, but the other commandments uh, uh, found in God's law, but also the application of these commandments to our daily life as well as the proclamation of the gospel. But tonight, we're going to take on very narrowly uh, the fourth commandment's application to us now as Christians under the New Testament. And last time we looked at the whole business of why do we worship on Sunday and got into a very elaborate uh, but brief discussion of the typological dimensions of uh, the fourth commandment. But what we want to do is say, well, how does this apply now? How does this apply to us? What do we do with it? And there's basically two different poles, even within um, uh, contemporary reform thinking on this. One is represented, let's say, by uh, what we find in the Westminster Larger Catechism when it asks in uh, question 117, how is the Sabbath or the Lord's Day to be sanctified? And the answer is, the Sabbath of the Lord's Day is to be sanctified by a holy resting all day, not only from such works as are at all times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as are on other days lawful and making it our delight to spend the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship. And to that end, we are to prepare our hearts, and with such foresight, diligence, and moderation to dispose, and seasonably to dispatch our worldly business, that we may be in the more free and fit for the duties of that day. Woo! And there's also several other questions that will elaborate further what you can and can't do. Now, the other end of this, of course, is the libertine, the one who says that, well, it doesn't matter what I do on this day because I'm saved in Christ, and therefore the whole day is free, and I can do whatever I want, and what I choose to do is to either sleep in or to go to the beach. I have no intention of coming to worship because I don't really need it. I've already been saved. 
But there's also another option, which I believe is the true reformed option, and that is what we have in the Heidelberg Catechism defined in question 103. What does the Lord require of you in the fourth commandment? And we answered in this way. First, that the ministry of the gospel and schools be maintained, and that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God to hear his word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord and contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord to work by his Holy Spirit in me and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Okay, just to summarize in broad strokes what we have here in the Reformed understanding of the application of this commandment, in one camp you have this, a very rigid, strong, uh, understanding of the application of the commandment that is no work no recreation only worship all day long the other application or the rather understanding of the application of this commandment represented by the reformed tradition is that we gather together uh, and rest for the purpose of allowing god to work in us and uh, other than that a, a lot uh, another than that a, a lack really of a lot of specifics yeah, there's generally a lot of liberty that is permitted. And again, not in the libertine tradition of nothing is commanded by God, because very clearly we're told we are to gather together with the saints for worship. But what you have beyond that is a lot of freedom. It's a chance to enjoy the creation, a chance to just see what God has done in creation, in redemption, and to rejoice in it and to celebrate this op this uh, great privilege. Yeah, you know, and in, in a lot of ways, the very meaning of the Sabbath to the Jews under the Old Testament do clearly apply to us in this commandment also in the New Testament. I mean, you think about the idea that the Sabbath was a sign of sanctification. Well, when we worship the Lord, not only on the Lord's Day, but really every day of our lives, we are to be thinking about resting from all of our sinful works and resting in the redemptive work that Christ did for us and looking forward to the glorification that was coming. This was all meaning in the fourth commandment to the Jews and is still meaningful to us. That's one of the, been the most one of the fascinating insights um, from the Reformed tradition, I think, on the everyday application of this commandment. It's not just that it applies to one day out of the week. That's the only day we, we pull out the fourth commandment and, and, and you know break it out and use it for that day. But the Reformed tradition here, at least represented by the Heidelberg Catechism, is that the fourth commandment applies every single day of your life. It's constantly exhorting and admonishing you to stop sinning, to stop striving, to stop trying to earn your salvation, and to let God work in you His sanctifying grace. I mean, that's a very practical application that we can apply to our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. As we come back to this discussion after the break, we're going to get into some more of the uh, practical issues and some of the maybe the debates uh, between uh, many in the Reformed and outside of the Reformed camp on the issue of the application of the Fourth Commandment. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalusti, and I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 
866-99-UNITED. There is no greater joy in the Christian's life than to worship God according to his word, and there is nowhere better in the San Gabriel Valley to do this than at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. So come join us this Sunday at 9 a.m. and at 6 p.m. at 226 West Colorado Boulevard in Arcadia. You can call us at 866-99-UNITED or look us up on the web at sinnersaint.org. All right, welcome back to Sinners and Saints. Uh, we're talking about the application of the Fourth Commandment. And by the way, if, if you want to know more about our churches, give us a call at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. We'd be happy to talk with you in greater length about uh, the application of the Fourth Commandment, let's say, or, or other things pertaining to the Reformed faith. But today we're talking about the application of the Fourth Commandment, and we want to explore a little bit more its application to the area of the issue of rest. Now, the Westminster Larger Catechism, again, in 119, talks about the sins forbidden in the Fourth Commandment, and it very specifically says that what is forbidden is the profaning of the day by idleness and by all needless works, words, and thoughts about our worldly employments and recreations. Basically, it's saying you can't even, not just you can't do your regular vocational work, not just can you, you can't go out and throw the football around, you can't think about it even. Because if you do, now you're no longer resting, but you're working. What do we say about this kind of um, rigorous understanding of, of the application of the fourth commandment? Well, on one level, you can try to be generous and say that they are really bringing out a good biblical point that this is a day dedicated to really enjoying what God has made and it's not a day for you to be anxious about these ordinary things. It's not a day for you to be focused on that which you have six other days to do. But the manner in which they apply it becomes far too rigorous and far more burdensome because now you're constantly worried, am I breaking the commandment rather than enjoying the day that God has given to you? Let me just ask though, in our Southern California environment where it's sunny 365 days out of the year where we have so much culture so many sights to see so much stuff to do <laughs> in a sense if we had this to apply today to keep people aligned in a sense would we have more people in our churches on Sunday morning I mean I think everybody battles with this question pastors do how do I get people to come to ch- show up to church on Sunday well, look, I mean, some people are going to respond to that and say, well, it doesn't matter. You do what glorifies God and you, you know, worry about yourself and your own church and keeping the strict observance of the Lord's day and not doing any work or any recreation. And, you know, if people want to neglect that, that's their problem because they're unbelievers or they're unsanctified believers that uh, are neglecting the day. They don't really care about that question. But, I mean, but what we're trying to do is see whether or not we are required you know, forget what people might do, the churches have filled up, whatever. It, does the scripture require us to have the whole day in public and private acts of worship and never think about anything else except God and uh, specifically the scripture and what he's doing exactly in our lives? And I'll tell you what, the people that argue for that, I believe, are actually making more strict requirements than were even under the Old Testament. I mean, what do you think the Israelite people were doing in between the time when they had the Holy Convocation and maybe another one, or they gathered for prayer with God's people? They weren't sitting around in their corner and only thinking about the Lord. They were having a beer, talking together about uh, the good things that the Lord was doing in their life and in their culture, relaxing. I mean, these things are not forbidden in the, <laughs> today 
for us on the Lord's Day, there's no requirement. And it's very clear. The scripture is not speaking volumes about a list of do's and don'ts on Sunday. Rather, Sunday should be taken as a day of joy. It's a chance to actually stop caring and worrying about these things. And I think, again, like if taken that way, some of the admonitions given might be useful. But it's a day in which to actually sit back and say, you know what? It hasn't been my work that has saved me. It is Christ's work. And it hasn't been my work, ultimately, that has brought me even the material things I have. It is by God's gracious giving that I have them. And he has allowed me the privilege of being employed or of working in order that I may have to provide not only for myself and my family, but for those in need and for the further ministry of the church. Yeah, so let me let me be real specific what, what I'm thinking here. You know, we ought not to get involved in recreational activities or work that would distract us from participating meaningfully and thoughtfully and gratefully in the public worship of God's people. And we ought not to involve ourselves in recreation or work that distracts us from remembering especially the goodness of the Lord to us on this Lord's Day. That's the reason why he gave us this one day. But that's a far cry from saying that people should have no involvement in any recreation or that if they maybe have to work on the Lord's Day because of some particular providence in their life, okay. that's forbidden. Well, somebody's going to come back and say, well, how can you be resting if you're if you're engaging in recreation? Let's say you're out golfing or playing a, a rigorous game of football or pick up basketball. How is that resting? Well, let me let me take you to Acts 20, Okay. And give you an example of people, Christian people, good, godly Christian people who actually had to work on the Lord's Day, but then still gathered together for public worship. In Acts chapter 20, you have basically a group of, of Christians who are slaves. And it apparently was their custom because they had to work on Sunday to meet later in the day. They gathered together to break bread on the first day of the week. That was their custom. And then that night, Paul happened to preach all night because he was leaving town. But the obvious inference is that their regular meetings were in the evening. Now, were, were they called to repentance because they as slaves had to work a few hours on Sunday morning? No. But they made it, they sanctified the time, they set apart in their own hearts that day, that is that evening for them, to come and gather as God's people to worship. And I mean, how much the more with recreation? If you're relaxing and you are still uh, making it a point to in that day thank the Lord for his good gifts and his redemption and the rest of it, and especially gathering together in the public worship, I don't see any any problem there. So maybe you would draw the distinction between uh, the kinds of works which are servile, that co- that require you to sweat and to be exhausted, and then do the, the kind of things you do which are enjoyable but may actually cause you to expend some energy and, and even sweat because it, it is a restful kind of um, using your body and enjoying the goodness of creation in well, that way. I'm just trying to be real specific. I mean, let's think about the slaves who got up early in the morning on the Lord's Day in the New Testament and had to work for a few hours, and then at the end of the day were able to come and worship God. I don't think they were violating the Sabbath commandment. Okay, after the break, we have to come back and talk about this some more. What kind of rest is required by the fourth commandment? So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. Americans are known for their independence and self-reliance. We take little stock in other people's opinions. Americans want to examine and form our own conclusions about everything, and if something isn't to our liking, we'll fix it. 
These characteristics have served us well in casting off monarchies and taming the wild frontier. But are they really the best qualities for building Christ's church? At Grace Evangelical Church, we think one thing our culture doesn't need to reinvent are the tried and tested truths of Orthodox Christianity. We take delight in the faith of our fathers, in the biblical truths captured by the three forms of unity. We believe the truths of the Reformation gospel of justification by faith alone are the only solution for the multitude of problems that face America today. We invite you to come worship with us at Grace Evangelical Church. For more information, you may contact us at area code 310-782-7019. That's 310-782-7019. All right, we're back here on Sinners and Saints taking on the Fourth Commandment. And we we really have to pin this down now, because I know a lot of you are going to have this question in your mind. What am I required to do in terms of rest? And what am I required to do in terms of work and some other kinds of things? I want to bring this up first of all. Does the fourth commandment, now under the new covenant, require me not to work at all on the Lord's Day on Sundays? I would say no, that the the requirement is not that you do not do any work at all or do not have any recreation. Now, yeah, the strict forbidding of all work and, although I wouldn't really say in the old covenant the recreation was forbidden, but... The strict forbidding of all work on the Sabbath day is part of the typological element of the fourth commandment. But the prudent application of the fourth commandment to us today would say that if you are doing work or if you are participating in any recreation that either prevents you from attending the public worship of God or from contemplating all the glories of Christ uh, which he has worked for our redemption and the glorification that is coming, if that is prevented by the amount or the kind of work that we're doing, then that kind of work would be sinful on the Lord's Day, yes. But no, I don't believe that everything is forbidden uh, on that day. Well, the command that we do have regarding the Lord's Day is that we are not to neglect the gathering together of the saints. And we know from Acts 2, the gathering together of the saints is that where you have the Word of God read and preached and song offered and prayer offered to God So this is what we need to concentrate on. And if that is being done, how you structure the rest of your day is not really mandated. It's not really directed in that specific of a detail. Okay, well, here's one we have to answer all the time. You say, all right, there's not a long list of prescriptions other than we have to be at worship. But, Pastor, I want to know, can I go out and uh, take my family to to the Sunday brunch after church? I want my wife to have some time off to rest from her having to cook and... And this seems like a good thing to do. Is, is this legitimate? Well, let's first say the following. There are many in our federation of churches, in the URC and also in the Presbyterian churches with which we are in good fellowship, that would say, no, it is not permitted at all. You are not to go out and cause anyone else to labor on that day. And that is something that we are not, we are not going to call these people out on this subject. However, the question is to us, we as pastors, how do we address it? And we would say, yes, that is a perfectly acceptable thing to do because those who are working are working. You're not causing them to work on that day. And since you want to rest with your family and to enjoy this time rather than be employed in trying to prepare food, yes, you're free to do so. Well, first of all, I don't even think that... (laughs) I mean, one of the ways you you kind of make it sound is like, well, they're working anyway, so you just take advantage of it. I don't think that, that... for example, waitresses and cooks and the like are forbidden from doing a few hours of work on the Lord's Day anyway. I mean, I think, yes, I wouldn't want to participate in their sin, but I'm not sinning by 
being served a lunch by people, maybe if your church has two worship services in between the services or after they've been to worship service in the morning. So you're not you're not encouraging and participating in their sin in any way. Besides which, if you're going to eat on the Lord's Day, you are going to have somebody preparing your food anyway. Like you had said, John, maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's the person who's been working hard in your house all week with the kids. And one of the ways that will help them to be more free emotionally and physically, to participate vigorously in the public worship of God, and to contemplate all of his good gifts is to actually give them a break and go out and enjoy some one of God's good gifts in the culture. What's wrong with that? But on the other hand, you have to be careful not to allow this to get into the slippery slope of saying, well, okay, if I can go out to lunch, I can go out to brunch, I can go out to the beach, I can go out and do uh, whatever I want. D- don't don't allow it to slip into the situation, however, that I'm not commanded to be somewhere, because you are. Don't miss the fact that you are required. It's a moral obligation to, for you to find yourself in the courts of the Lord. The distinction we're making is that when you're not required to there, when you're not being called to there, there aren't. there's not an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts in terms of what you can or cannot do uh, during the time that the church is not being called together for worship. Yeah, uh, listen, I'll be the first to say that our churches, uh, people that hold my view, I've seen this, have a problem with uh, taking this too far. So they, for example, will get caught up with whatever cultural thing is happening on the Lord's Day when they should be in public worship and they're not there. They neglect it or they don't care about it. They're more excited about, I don't know, the Super Bowl or whatever sporting event their team happens to make it a big thing. And they that overwhelms their all of their emotions for the Lord's Day. They may not even show up or they may show up and just not really beat their heart in all their things. And that is sinful. And, and we ought to speak very strongly out against that. And let's also, before we just uh, batter just the one side, let's also make it clear, those who say that, no, you need to have a very strict application and there has to be no work done by others on your behalf or by you, they also don't hold this very consistently because then you say, okay, what about those who are producing electricity, those who are producing you know, the water thing? They're not actually required to do that work. It's not a work of necessity or Oh, come or on mercy. now, Moses. You're being too legalistic. But see, that's exactly what they are being. And that's what we're trying to say is, no, this to try to apply right. this only on the eating aspect misses the point Hey, completely. the Old Testament forbid the, the very a fire even burning in your house for the purpose of cooking or, or warmth or whatever because it was a vile, it requ- required somebody to work. So, I mean, it's, it's not too much to, to, to say, well, we can live without modern conveniences a day one day out of the week yeah our point is to be consistent you'd have to argue yeah, that but exactly. that's why we well not that's why we believe the bible presents that strict forbidding of labor under the old commandment as a type of the work that christ was going to do to work our redemption and that was accomplished and so we don't go back to those strict rules take a look at romans fourteen five. take a look at colossians chapter 2 starting at verse 16 and you start getting kind of a feel for what the scriptures would have you to do on this day and what they would prohibit you from imposing upon others as moral and conscience matters we want to thank you for joining us on this discussion on the fourth commandment stay tuned with us in the following weeks for more riveting discussion on the ten commandments Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.